Italian food. Many of you love it, but do you really know the stories behind it? Ciao, siamo Gabriele Angelic e benvenuti nel nostro podcast. We are passionate language learners and we record for you the language learning podcast we'd like to play when we learn new languages. Our podcast in mixed English and simple Italian helps beginners and intermediate Italian language learners enjoy engaging content about Italy, its language, and its culture from day zero of their language learning journey. Today, we'd like to share with you our conversation with Martina Bartolozzi, an Italian-American trained butcher and food expert who was born and raised in Tuscany. If she's not busy sharing her anecdotes on the local food scene and food customs of Italy on Instagram, you can find her working on her personalized or ready-to-go interactive maps and writing stories of women in food. We personally had a great time chatting with her about her life story, the struggle of Italian women in the food business, and the contrasting food culture between Italy and the United States. This episode will conclude our first season of the Italian Escape podcast. Next month, we will disappear for a brief period as we take a break to recover and prepare for the next season. The format of our episode will be a bit different compared to the first episodes we had. This episode we have with Martina will give you an idea of what you'd expect when we return this November. In the meantime, if you love our podcast and would like to help us out, do leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify or join our Patreon community, as we'll be putting up more exciting stuff once the next season starts. And now, we present to you our conversation with Martina. Listen now and learn about the importance of sharing stories of the food we produce, cook, and eat here in Italy. Bentornati a tutti per il nostro podcast. Oggi è una giornata speciale perché abbiamo qualcuno con noi e lei è Martina Bartolozzi. Hello everybody, I am so grateful to be here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. My name is Martina Bartolozzi and I'm an Italian-American passionate foodie for which there isn't a proper word in Italian. Like I like to say buona forchetta professionista. That's not exactly the same. And uh, what I do is that I'm very active on Instagram. I talk about Italian food, specifically Tuscan food, because Tuscany is where I spend uh, most of my time. And I try to help uh, uh, people that are visiting Italy understand where they can enjoy the best foods and what foods they should be looking out for. So, for example, a lot of people tend to travel to Italy and to come to Tuscany too and Florence it's beautiful and everything and they're like so where can we find cannoli and I'm like um wrong region and so I try to help people understand uh, regional cuisine mostly I create digital maps interactive digital maps with custom recommendations for all of the best foods Sì, abbiamo avuto modo di guardare qualcuna di queste mappe sono molto interessanti effettivamente anche molto utili per, sì. uh, per gli stranieri che se no sì. rischiano di perdersi ed essere catturati 
dai locali più turistici che però sono anche quelli un po' meno interessanti. Sì, diciamo è un'alternativa del Lonely Planet. Sì, abbastanza, oh, l'integrazione dai. Yeah. <ride> e, um, tra le altre cose noi avevamo parlato un po' di, di come in un certo senso sbagliano i turisti a visitare Firenze, no? Mm. Eh, nello specifico, visto che Martina è di Firenze, ma non solo, anche diciamo in generale tutta l'Italia. Sì. Tanti turisti, soprattutto anche gli americani, gli statunitensi, arrivano e vogliono trovare il gelato, l'aperitivo, lo spritz. Eh, pizza? Eh, sì, la pizza... Che va bene, però si perdono. I mean, in Florence you can't even find pasta tra poco. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Because we have ribollita, papà al pomodoro, panzanella. Exactly. Uh, però si perdono appunto quelle che sono davvero le cose uniche che trovi solo in Italia. Because after all you can find uh, ice cream or you can find uh, uh, the spaghetti even somewhere else, but you cannot find ribollita in, outside Tuscany. Yes, yes. So what, what do you exactly. think... Uh, It's the major misconception about food that foreigners, in particular um, United States citizens, have when they come and visit Italy. Well, one is that it's impossible to eat badly. While it is totally possible to eat bad Italian food in Italy, you have to really be mindful about which uh, restaurants you walk into or which gelateria. I mean... Uh, I recently got into like this silly Instagram discussion underneath a viral video about a person uh, preparing a beautiful ice cream comb and, and they have one of those ice cream counters with all of the ice cream just overflowing in bright colors with lots of decorations on top and that ice cream is not good. It is not good because it has too much air inside it. It's made with uh, um, chemicals that aren't You know, it's not as natural as could be. Delicious ice cream is usually served from carapine. Carapine are like these big metal tubes that are underneath the counter. And so you can't even see the ice cream. And and so the gelato is inside the carapine, away from light sources, away from oxygen, away from heat. And that helps preserve the best qualities. And so I feel like a common misconception is that all of the food is great. Well, it's not. And the problem with thinking that every single food is going to be delicious is that then when it's not, you're disappointed and you leave and you say, oh, you know, I was expecting more from Florence. I thought the food was going to be better, but actually it wasn't. And try to think like, did you go to Florence and try to eat an old mozzarella that has traveled and that isn't delicious? Did you come to Florence and did you eat a cannolo that isn't from here and so it's not the best cannolo that you're ever going to have? Or did you find the regional lo hyper-local foods that are at their best in the place where they were invented, in the place where the whole food system around them goes with them? For example, every region in Italy says, oh, we make the best olive oil. In Puglia, they say we make the best olive oil. In Tuscany, they say we make the best olive oil. But my theory is that there is not a better olive oil, but that each olive oil is perfect for its own regional food. For example, a more delicate kind of olive oil will be perfect in a region that has lots of light seafood dishes, while it Instead, in Tuscany, we have big, hearty stews, lots of meat, and so you need a more potent olive oil. And so I feel like a common misconception is that you can find all sorts of Italian food no matter where you are on the boot. 
Sì, esatto. Diciamo dall'estero, dall'esterno, l'Italia viene vista come un, un'unica entità, mentre effettivamente eh, c'è molta, molta differenza. A noi piace ogni tanto fare un po' di episodi anche con un po' di storia, proprio perché a volte è difficile capire l'Italia e anche il cibo italiano se non si capisce un po' da dove viene. Un po' come cercare di capire la cucina americana se non sai che c'è stata l'immigrazione irlandese, che c'è stata l'influenza latinoamericana, è difficile. E sul cibo in particolare le tue mappe, Martina... ehm, mitigano eh, un po' il, il problema che hanno gli stranieri che parlano poco o niente italiano, perché tante volte i posti dove il cibo è più autentico, più buono, più genuino, sono anche i posti meno attrezzati per i turisti. Eh Sì, esatto, perché magari hanno il menù solo in italiano, con eh, dei piatti un po' inusuali, che non è detto che tutti sappiano che cosa significa trippa, che cosa significa l'ampredotto, e che panzanella corrisponde a un, diciamo, un bread salad con le verdure. E quindi quello che cerco di fare nelle mie mappe, what I try to do in my maps, is that I, for each place that I recommend, I try to write um, the name of my favorite dishes in Italian and then also translated in English, so that people can familiarize themselves with certain vocab, with certain terminology, and be more comfortable with ordering different dishes and maybe going a little bit out of their comfort zone because everybody knows what carbonara is but you're not going to find good carbonara in Florence for example well on that point i don't know if everybody knows what carbonara is when i visited the philippines for the first time i was shocked to find carbonara without eggs and bolognese without meat and it was like <laughs> Mi sembra che tra le altre cose forse in alcuni posti all'estero, forse gli Stati Uniti chiamano il gelato tipo quello di McDonald's tipo gelato itali- italian ice cream really? I think so they do something like that I've never understood the, their definition of uh, ice cream but <laughs> in Chile c'è un piatto in Chile there's I've never been to Chile I only read about this and was shook and it's um, they have this thing called the completo italiano uh, like the italian fall or the that? italian uh, a hot dog <laughs> <ride> un hot dog, un panino hot dog tipo con il pomodoro, l'avocado e di bianco, Dio non so che cos'è ah, forse sour cream allora mi perdonino tutti i vostri ascoltatori cileni e per favore venite a scrivermi anche su Instagram se mi sto sbagliando però sì, è una cosa un panino hot dog bianco, rosso e verde come la bandiera italiana che si chiama il completo italiano ma che cosa c'entra? ma parlando di tutto Uh, Italian food abroad. Do you have experience with the food that it's served in Little Italy around the world? And what and if so, what do you think of it? So um it's a tricky question. 
It's because I'm very curious because I have my pretty heavy opinions about it. So I wanted to hear yours. So my mother's side of the family is from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And in San Francisco, there's North Beach, which is a little Italy that is though becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. And I have been and I have tasted some things, but I was alone. And so I probably wasn't going to the right places. And so I have to go back with a local food expert. I literally have a friend that offers this service, but she wasn't in town when I went. And so I'll have to try again because so far my experience with Italian food abroad has been so-so. Eh, but also, I don't even seek Italian food abroad. I'm not one of those Italians that goes, and oh, I really could use some pizza or some pasta. Now I don't feel that need as much. And so I literally like don't have the numbers, don't have enough experience to give a proper opinion. One thing that I can say is that when I go to the States and I have pizza, I walk into the pizza spot thinking, okay, I'm getting a different dish. Uh, la contestualizzo, diciamo, alla situazione. Quindi è un'altra cosa, uguale il caffè, coffee. It's, it's a different thing. It's two different foods. It's not the same. È quasi, è quasi una cucina regionale, come fosse un'altra regione. Secondo me eh, ci sono due di, tipi di, mh, diciamo, di paesi, che non sono l'Italia. Quelli dove c'è una cucina più o meno italiana che si è evoluta perché ci sono immigrati di seconda, terza generazione... E quella invece dove non c'è sostanzialmente una comunità italiana e e ci sono dei ristoranti italiani che però adattano molto il cibo italiano ai gusti locali. Gli Stati Uniti forse sono un po' il primo tipo, quindi una comunità italiana da tanti anni e hanno hanno evoluto diciamo una, una cucina che esiste solo lì, come gli spaghetti, le fettuccine al freddo, gli spaghetti meatball, eh, la pizza stile americano, che è, un, che è una cosa diversa, e, e probabilmente altri piatti. Cioè, è proprio un, una cucina a parte, mentre quando vado nelle Filippine è un po' una brutta imitazione, diciamo, non è un, qualcosa che si è evoluto, è il, diciamo, il venderti magari la pizza congelata come se fosse pizza fresca perché tanto lì nessuno sa come è fatta la pizza e quindi gli puoi vendere l'insalata al tartufo senza tartufo che tanto non sanno and this is a true story <laughs> so uh, I don't know I think of this so it's like uh, I think uh, with regard to like the states or this country where there's a strong Italian community um, we should not be as Italian very judgmental because it's like a different region uh, with its yeah. own style and also like the um, some of the usance some of the traditions i w- um i have a lot of clients that are uh, americans of italian descent mm-hmm. and so sometimes they tell me about their traditions about the foods that their mothers used to cook for them and also about the words that they learned at home and they tell me oh do you know this word and they say because do you know this Italian word? And I don't. And it's not that I don't know the Italian word that they're using because I don't know it. It's because it's actually dialect. And so I think that's also another very interesting thing because many of the 
Americans of Italian descent are second or third generation and such. And so the Italian language, the Italian food and the Italian customs that they know are actually from 100, 200 years ago. And it's like they're stuck in time, not stuck in time, but they developed in parallel yeah. to the Italian yeah. culture, but not joining together. And so it's fascinating. It's very interesting. It's like seeing into the past in a way through the States. Yeah. Vero, vero. Eh, it's like a tree that's diverging. È affascinante, mi piace. Yeah. Eh, sì. Eh, però, diciamo, quando il problema per loro potrebbe essere che quando vengono in Italia alcuni cercano poi questo genere di cucina. A me è capitato più volte di avere degli amici d'oltreoceano chiedermi ma dove trovo delle buone fettuccine al freddo? Ed è difficile spiegargli <ride> che non le trovi le fettuccine al freddo. <ride> Quindi, esatto. eh, ehm, però, ecco qua, poi tu ci saprai dire molto meglio, ma eh, è poi molto bello, diciamo, come italiani, amanti del cibo, quando portiamo i nostri amici stranieri a provare il vero cibo italiano, e si vede proprio questa sensazione di meraviglia, di, di stupore in senso buono però, eh, come se avessero proprio scoperto un mondo completamente nascosto. Sì, specialmente secondo me tanto dello stupore è dovuto anche alla semplicità, sia degli ingredienti che delle preparazioni. Mm-hmm. Metti l'insalata caprese, no? Che è letteralmente tre cose, pomodoro, mozzarella e basilico, però che cose sono? Pomodoro buono, mozzarella buona, basilico buono. In altri paesi del mondo dove questi tre ingredienti eh, magari sono più difficili da reperire al massimo della loro qualità, non sarebbero sufficienti per creare un piatto veramente delizioso. Allora giù ci mettono il, pe- il pesto, ci mettono boh, i crackers, i croutons, qualche altra cosa. Quindi poi quando vengono qua invece assaggiano il piatto nella sua semplicità rimangono oh, oddio ma questo pomodoro ha un sapore dieci volte più intenso di quello che mi ritrovo negli Stati Uniti e mi dispiace questa cosa. C'è un libro molto interessante che secondo me spiega il perché di questo che è uh, The Eater's Manifesto okay. di Michael Pollan oh, che yeah. è questo fuggio. Uh, have you read it? No, not yet. I wanted to. It's in my list. <laughs> It's fabulous. It's, it's incredible. I love Michael Pollan. And basically it talks about, it's an older book now, and uh, it talks about why the food, amongst other things, it talks about why the food in the States is the way it is. And reading it with an Italian mindset and knowing what food is here, I'm like, oh, so... Basically, Poland says that the food in the States sometimes isn't the best that it could be because of a lot of industry. And so because food is created oftentimes to benefit the industries rather than the consumer, then uh, there is uh, mass production, there is uh, uh, abuse of the lands that takes away all the nutrients and then takes away all of the flavor of the food. There's an excessive use of uh, pesticides and such. Well, instead here in Italy and in the European Union, these things are regulated in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the laws here make food better for the consumer rather than the producer and seller of the 
food, which is why it's so delicious. Yeah, yeah. Because um, like in the past, I used to follow these European projects and they really make it a point to make sure that the people in Europe get the best food from the best regions. And uh, while in America, like there are so many documentaries that show how industry takes control of the food system. And so it's not really the customers or the people of America who are who come first um, to experience the food, but the industry to get profit out of it, to make sure that, quote unquote, they should not you know, get hungry. But in fact, there's so much food inequality in America that junk food actually like dominates the scene rather than, yeah. you know, high quality food. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask you out of curiosity, like wh when did this interest of your food start? I grew up in food. Everywhere I would turn, it was food everywhere because of my family. My father used to have a production facility that made ready-to-consume foods for supermarkets. My um, maternal grandmother would teach uh, French cooking in her house in Walnut Creek, California. And she also wrote one of the first uh, food processor cookbooks when they were first invented. My um, On my father's side, my uncle and my grandfather are, were, are and were butchers. And then when uh, my parents got divorced, after a while, my mother uh, remarried and she married this butcher that a lot of people know. And his name is Dario Cecchini, yeah. and he is a very well-known <laughs> he's a very well-known butcher in Panzano in Chianti. There's also a documentary about his life on Netflix, so that's yeah. pretty cool. And uh, I worked with him throughout uh, high school, like during the summertime, flipping burgers to get a little cash. And then throughout uh, university, when I started studying communications, I moved to the offices and would take care of more of the behind the scenes. I traveled with him all over the world to do catering events and butchering demonstrations and food conferences. So that was pretty cool. And the last two years that I worked with him, I was like, okay, so I've worked in the kitchens here. I, I've waited tables. I have uh, done all the behind the scenes, taking care of his communication, of his uh, correspondence and such. And I also help manage the people that come from all over the world to come and do and spend a month staging with him and learning how to carve meat. And I have worked so long with my head bent down, my fingers tapping on the keyboard. I want to learn how to butcher myself. I want to learn how to carve meat too. I want to learn because I want to learn how to make something with my hands. I want to not just do a job of mind, but also a job of hands-on. So, yeah. una cosa, mettere le mani veramente in pasta. E, e quindi gli chiesi se potevo imparare a disossare. I asked him if I could start learning how to carve meat. And he said, yeah, sure thing. But you still have to do all of the other work that you already do. And so if you want, you can come in two hours early, do that. Then go to the office and finish up all of the other work for the rest of the day. And so this is my background in food. What happened then was that during the first lockdown, I was at home, no work, nothing to do. And finally, I had some time to reflect. And I figured out that I wasn't as happy working there anymore. Not because the job had changed, not because it wasn't good anymore. It was still fabulous and I still miss it very much. But because I wanted to try to create something myself. 
And so I took an assessment of all my skills. I was good with social media. I was good with communicating. I'm good. I, I like to think I'm pretty good at explaining things. At least I take joy in it. And people usually seem to understand what I say. So that must be a good sign. And I love food. And I figured, okay, so I have these qualities. Let's make something out of these. What can I make? So I love traveling. I love helping people travel. Let's figure out a way to make maps. And the company, the startup that um, created the app that I create maps on, they just happened to reach out to me a few months after I left my job. And I was like, where did you come from? Have you been reading my journal? My first plan would have been to like sell the maps on Google, but like, they look really ugly compared to what I create and mm -hmm. hard to use. And so that's how I ended up where I am today. It was a serendipity. <laughs> yeah, that was quite an experience, actually. It's like an all around 360 degrees kind of experience on food, which is pretty cool because, yeah, like right now, people are divided between those who do the hand, like hand work, like labor intensive work and those who do the intellectual work. And there's nothing like, you know, about, there's no balance between both worlds, I think. And it's really great to see that, like, in your case, you get to do both while others just inclined, are inclined to do only one of this. And usually now it's more the intellectual part. They don't really get to see the labor behind everything, even the food itself, I think. Did she? Yeah. I guess yes. so. Well, like people don't know how food is produced. You know, people don't know how olive oil is made. People don't know. Uh, some people disassociate the fact that the bracciola that they have on their plate was once a living and breathing animal. And that, that's one of the things that I learned at the butcher shop. I learned to really connect that the final ingredient and the final dish came from somewhere really specific and that we must have respect of where it came from and trying to use everything as well as possible. Yeah. Sai, credo che mh, su questo tema uh, potrebbe aiutare leggere i vecchi libri di cucina. Io ricordo che mia madre a casa ha ancora una vecchia copia del Talismano della Felicità, non so se lo conosci, e, e lì è davvero la cucina di una volta. Ti dice andate nell'aia, prendete una gallina spellatela, ti spiega come, spella, diciamo, come togliere le piume da una gallina, come dissanguarla, come disossarla, eh, andate poi, prendete il, il latte dalla mucca, schiumatelo, perché c'è la panna sul latte che viene, diciamo, che raccogli da una, direttamente dalla mucca. E, e secondo me... Ecco, potremmo pubblicare uno di questi testi una volta perché yeah. è davvero un'esperienza particolare, ti fa tornare indietro nel tempo e fa anche un po' riacquisire forse questa dimensione di contatto col cibo e con la sorgente da cui viene, come dici tu Martina. Ci sono anche delle serie, volendo, per esempio la serie Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat di Sabine oh, yeah. Nosrat. Yeah, yeah, eh, I love that one. It's so good. I, I mean, I'm biased because I was with her during the filming of the Italy episode. And, um, but I feel that that's such an important process to show. So one of my dreams is to do something similar, but uh, all about women, specifically women producers, because I feel like women in the food industry aren't as represented as men. There's 
countless, countless examples that drive me up the walls. But that's a dream of mine. A yeah. show about Italian women producers behind the scenes, how things are made and why they're special, which would help people appreciate both women in the industry. Because, you know, here in Italy, women in the industry and also why food is so expensive sometimes. For example, why is a cetto balsamico so expensive? It's because it takes at least 12 years to make. Of course, it's expensive. Oh, that's pretty cool. I would really watch that one. <laughs> it would be cool. It would be nice to watch. Uh, like, we, there are some shows in Italy that depict uh, that kind of reality, but not just on women, like in general, like Linea Verde, for example, sometimes they depict a lot, the, the life mm. stories of the producers. But it is true that there is like a lack of women in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you think it's, um, it's improving? Pensi che ci sia meno diseguaglianza che stia diminuendo? Oppure secondo te gli stereotipi sono ancora molto forti? Yeah, I believe there still is lots of inequality and I believe there's underrepresentation of the women that there are. And because of that, fewer women try to approach the industry. Um, for example, uh, let's see. What can I say since I did admit that Zappa Sufiani? Recently, I had a conversation with uh, some uh, women that are in the food industry here in Florence because I'm writing an article about that. And they told me about some of their experiences. And one told me that uh, there's a restaurant that uh, she's known for a long time where they just don't hire women because women, because they say, you know, women, when they get their period, then they get cranky and they can't work. Or, you know, what if they get pregnant and then they can't have to work and we have to pay for their maternity leave? That is discrimination. That is absolutely unacceptable. Or else um, another woman told me that once she was standing outside of her establishment dressed in her work clothes and uh, she was talking with one of her regular clients who was sitting down enjoying a glass of wine and a supplier approached and uh, he approached the two of them. So this woman who owns and runs the, the business and her client that was sitting down enjoying a glass, a man, and this uh, male supplier approached them and told her, go back inside. I need to talk business with the owner of the place, thinking that the client sitting down drinking a glass of wine was the owner. And she <laughs> said, of course, yeah, sure, come on in. And he said, ah, wait, what? She said, I'm the owner. <laughs> and uh, the, her client, bless him, that was sitting down enjoying a glass of wine, he told the supplier, you're not going to sell her anything, you know that, right? And I mean, the supplier was like, do you at least want to see the catalog? The catalog? And she said, ah, no thanks. And he left. I mean, è, can è you believe... che ci siano ancora no, storie del genere. Ma ti rendi conto che per questo era così improbabile vedere una donna giovane che gestisce il proprio locale da rivolgersi a un uomo seduto a bere del vino piuttosto che a lei che aveva letteralmente il grembiule addosso, addosso. ma mi sembra una cosa normale a me manda veramente fuori di testa per uh, 2022 I think it's pretty weird that there's still this kind of thing because I could imagine this during the time of Nancy Silverton when she was trying to if I get the name right if she was when she was trying to do the bakery business in California and she was like 
one of the women leading that kind of thing in California. And there were struggles during this, like in the eighties and stuff. But right now I was hoping something better, but apparently not. Ma sai, secondo me ci sono ancora tanti casi così, ma la mia sensazione è che in generale in Italia, ecco adesso non so nell'industria del cibo, ma in generale sta cambiando e sta migliorando, forse non velocemente come vorremmo e, e le leggi sono anche un po' indietro forse da questo punto di vista. I have no idea eh, how però it... secondo me non dovrebbe essere una cosa regolarizzata dalla legge dovrebbe essere insegnato nelle scuole dovrebbe essere questione di educazione questione di, educa- di cultura anche perché imporre le quote rosa non migliora la condizione generale della donna secondo me fino a un certo punto, eh? fino a un certo punto ma eh, per quanto imporle a livello legale possa avere ovviamente i suoi vantaggi la cosa migliore sarebbe risolvere il problema alla radice ovvero con l'educazione delle persone con una formazione migliore yeah but you know on this my take is that um, I think in general there's little um, understanding and uh, capability of people let's say of employers to manage an, a workforce which is just not always available, not always there. Because the same issue goes with like remote working or uh, like dealing with people who have some disabilities, for example. It's more like, of course, it's simpler to have a person who is sitting there or working there. You see the person and it's never, the person is never sick, never gets, uh, in this case, a period, but could be any other issue, could be the kid that, had, let's say, it's, it needs to be uh, visited at school or brought to the doctor or whatever. It's like, there's just not the understanding that in 2022, uh, as an employer, you need to deal with a more complex workforce uh reality and you cannot expect everything to be so simple because it's like a robot you yeah mean? it's not like a robot it's like uh, if you want to be fair like you need to be competent yeah so i think we'll have to wrap it up but i uh, this one last question because it's something crucial also for this podcast because this podcast aims to help people who know english already to get comfortable with the italian language like My question is, how was it uh, growing up in a very in a in a bilingual home, like to have English and Italian side by side? And how did you interact with people like in Italy and in America in the end? So it was great. Um, I loved it, first of all, because of the result, which is that I am now pretty much perfectly bilingual and can travel many places and communicate with many people. The way that I learned English is that my father was Italian and my mother is American. And uh, I grew up out in the countryside with them and then with my mother's sister who fell for the same <laughs> quote unquote trap of coming to visit her, her sister just for a little while here in Italy and meeting an Italian man. And she was like, boy, man, this guy is cute and never going back to the States. <laughs> And so they were next door neighbors and my mom and her sister. And so I didn't learn English just from my mom, but also from hearing the two of them speak to each other, which I think was crucial. 
And then when my parents divorced when I was eight, the two households became two different languages and two different cultures. And so when I was with my dad, it was only Italian spoken in the house. But when I was with my mom, it was 100% English. And so I feel like that was really helpful. In my social life, when I was really little, it created a little bit of confusion because in my very first years, I sometimes struggled to understand what was English, what was Italian, and who could understand what. For example, my nonna, my Italian grandmother, she has this story where (laughs) she says that once she was babysitting me and I kept asking her for juice. I wanted juice, you know, like out of the cardboard box that you drink from a straw. Nonna, voglio juice. Nonna, voglio juice. Nonna, I want juice. And she is Italian, and so she had no idea what I was asking for. And being the wife of a butcher, she thought I wanted Jew, like the Jew meat sauce to drink. And so she was very, very confused. And uh, then later on, another story of my bilingualism is that the first time that I translated something from Italian to English was at a dinner where my Italian family and my American family were together and my American grandparents were visiting from California. And my father said something in Italian to his mother. And I turned to my American grandmother and I said, Grandma, Dad said this, this, and that, and I translated for her. I was four years old. That's so. pretty cool. Yeah, the, because we found out like code switchings, which is what you just did, and which I also did in my household in other languages. Like it seems natural for like bilingual kids to do that, but people think, oh, just because they don't use totally, um, like, perfect it's English or totally perfect Italian, that means you're you don't have the capacity to communicate, but it's just that you just try to get from your vocabulary the the easiest thing you can pick off, like in either languages, I think. Yes. Yes. Sometimes it shows up in the conversations that I have with uh, my mother or with my brother, where we'll be like at the dinner table and we will speak half Italian and half English, depending on which word is or which word comes to mind first. You know, mm-hmm. so that's a form of pigrizia, a form of laziness, or depending on the concept. For example, some concepts are just not translatable from one language to the other. And so we will use the, for example, like uh, spifido. Spifido is a good one. Spifido is the Italian concept of like this evil, cold draft that creeps through the windows and through the old windows and goes and hits you on your neck. And it gives you a neck neck pain. Yeah, there's so, nothing there's in no English. Way. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's not a proper word for foodie in Italian, which is such a shame. Yeah. Because all Italians are, like, born foodies. Yeah, <laughs> I think the word, yeah. the nearest word is golosa. Uh, yeah. See, but, like, goloso is, like, it is the joy of eating food, but, like uncontrollable i feel i feel like it's slightly different true 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 sì perché alla fine parlare due lingue eh, come le parli tu eh, è più del parlare due lingue è proprio eh, perché 
like you you enhance one language with the other and vice versa and your ex like ex expression capability is is higher so you don't just translate concepts one in another but you can use concepts from both languages and so to some extent even your brain is like becomes more uh, um elastic more uh, more wide also and uh, it it's really a i think a growing experience yeah like a co growing up speaking two languages and uh, with we believe that also learning languages should be a process done in the same way like mixing languages because it it really helps integrating the new language into your everyday speaking uh so it's like we are really advocates of this approach <laughs> just Angie see 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 yes I okay agree. okay so i think it's time to wrap it up it was really a pleasure to speak with you martina for me too thank you so much and we'll provide in the show notes like the context for people who want to reach out to martina and enjoy your maps yes thank you thank and... you <laughs> So listen to our podcast more to practice uh, Italian and uh, so you will be able to come to Italy and use Martina's maps to enjoy the food. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> okay, so thank you again for listening. Uh, thank you Martina and to the next time. Alla prossima. Alla prossima. Ciao ciao. Ciao ciao. ciao. ciao.